Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the classical world, and much more. And by much more, I mean I couldn't think of a third one. Well, and that's so the stuff category. And the stuff category. That feels appropriate. I am Thomas Magby, and I am joined, as always, by AJ Hannenberg. This guy right here. And Graham Donaldson. This guy right here. And I'm this guy right here. <laughs> this. Do we come at it, when people are listening to us, do we come from different sides of... Yeah. So some of us come from the right. So some they can imagine us sitting like one on the right, one on the left. So listener, if you're if you're really careful, uh-huh. you can tell that Thomas will come from your left. I am dead center, mm-hmm. and then Graham will come from your right. So we That's can actually right. test it. So ready, Thomas? Hello. 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 <laughs> There you go. All Great. three. So when we say we're here, that's <laughs> that, what, that's that right there, mean. that's yeah. audio wizardry, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. You are truly a magician. So if if Thomas started going, uh, and then AJ went, uh, and I went, uh, it would sound like we all just went from left to right in your whoa, car. Whoa, whoa. I can't, I can't have you suggest this and not Without try it. it. All right. Ready? Thomas, you got to start. It's like a, like a vocal wave. Whoa. Uh, Do you want to do it again? Yeah. We got to keep, keep it going for, for a second. Right? This is perfect now. Okay, wow. We All right, should speaking of the over. Doppler effect, Least today we have... Downloaded episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, people are going to... This is going to be the first one they listen to. They're going to be like, this was a mistake. <laughs> All right, today we have AJ Hannenberg uh, taking part three on Cicero. So I yeah, was know... Was that an expedient thing we just did, or was that a... Deeply moral, I believe, <laughs> is what you meant. Moral. I think yeah. Cicero would have said it was inexpedient because <laughs> and immoral. is concerned concerned with having a good reputation and yeah. I can't imagine that ours was, wasn't marred <laughs> to wow. review who doesn't a like little bit quality book mm. one of Cicero's on duties was about how to be good a good person have you changed it from on duty to on duties so that we laugh less no because how's, how's that less funny <laughs> uh, I saw, duty is a funnier word than duties All right, anyway okay. uh so the first part of it is how to be moral and good he's Splits it into four subheads. Seek wisdom. Preserve the bonds of society. Have a great and noble soul. And generally be a gentleman are the four things he'd have you do. Book two is about expediency, how to get what you want, how to succeed in the world. And his general rule is be nice to people. Love is great. Fear is bad, right? Don't make people fear you. Make them love you and things will go well for you. And I think most folks would probably agree with that. Seems like good advice. I was really looking forward to the third book, gentlemen, really a lot, because the third book promised to solve it when we have a, an apparent clash of moral right and expediency. What do you do if what seems expedient, what will make you popular and good and awesome, seems to clash with what is morally right? And I was really looking forward to the lengthy philosophical diatribe he would have about this and and it's not really in there unfortunately he spends a brief moment talking about why these two things are united and it's it's even kind of hard to pin down because the first part of the book he spends talking about this guy and his version of the duties and why he didn't write his third book Mm. and why he is it's this weird argument and then he moves on and kind of glosses over it and then moves on to other things so if you're going to book three looking for why these two things are the same and a lengthy thing on it. This is not what you're going to find there, or at least thus I found this morning, unless I'm (laughs) desperately misunderstanding the book. And I think a better way, a better place to look for that would be in Boethius, the Constellation of Philosophy. He treats it more at length. He argues that the only good is such and such a thing. And when we are trying to be, you know, when we're seeking other goods, we're really just getting a part of it. That's a really good version of this argument. His is pretty basic. 
But so what's where, the argument? Where I would like to start is with his letter to his kid at the beginning of this book. Oh, back to part one. No, I think oh. I think this is from book three. Oh, he has another little kind of in betweeny thing. Cool. And then it'll end with a with sort of a finishing letter to his son. Cool. So part of the interest for me in the third book I found was not necessarily in the philosophy, but in the little bits of history kind of that pop out of it, which is really cool. And then lastly, the moral cases, which I will present to you gentlemen and see what you think. And then we'll talk about what Cicero thinks. Okay. Right. That's, that's, I think where the fun, fun bit's going to be. Let's do it. So here's the letter from him to his son. But my dear Cicero, which was also the name of his kid. Oh, Cicero Jr. Cicero, little Cicero. I mean, with, when you're Cicero. You're going to name. It's like George Foreman. (laughs) Yep. He named all his kids George. Wait, is that actually true? It is a true thing. I yeah, he has that. George and Georgina. He's no, no, like, he called the girls George. They're really, they're George. just George? Mm-hmm. It's George, 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 And we're George. okay with this? They just have the numbers. We have no, we can't do anything about it. Okay, we can't do anything I, about I, it. If we can, you we have can a problem ha- with it, have you can go talk to yeah. George Foreman and I'd rather see how not. Goes I'd rather run a podcast and say my opinions from far away, <laughs> personally. <laughs> but my dear Cicero, while the whole field of philosophy is fertile and productive and no portion of it barren and waste, still no part is richer or more fruitful than that which deals with moral duties. For from these are derived the rules for leading a consistent and moral life. And therefore, although you are, as I trust, diligently studying and profiting by these precepts under the directions Uh of our friend Cratipus, who is the name of (laughs) Cicero's teacher, but it does, in my head, he's a duck-billed platypus. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Cratipus. Cratipus. He's like a half crab, half platypus. (laughs) Which click 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 click. Which would be fantastic. He's got a duck bill, clickety hands, and a beaver tail. It's it's adorable. Anyway, with a little with a little like uh, graduation hat. Oh, <laughs> so cute. Uh, the, <laughs> under the direction of our friend Cratipus, the foremost philosopher of the present age, oh. I still think it well that your ears should be dinned with such precepts from every side, and that if it could be, they should hear nothing else. These precepts must be laid to heart by all who look forward to a career of honor. And I am inclined to think that no one needs them more than you. Oh, wow. Thanks, Dad. For you will have to fulfill the eager anticipation that will imitate my industry. Oh, that's fair. And confident expectation that you will emulate my course of political honors. (laughs) And the hope that you will, perhaps, rival my name and fame. You have besides incurred a heavy responsibility on account of Athens and Cratipus. (laughs) For since you have come to them for the purchase, as it were, of a store of liberal culture... It would be a great discredit to you to return empty-handed, thereby disgracing the high reputation of the city and of your master. Therefore, put forth the best mental effort of which you are capable. Work as hard as you can. If learning is work rather than pleasure, do your very best to succeed. And do not, when I have put all the necessary means at your disposal, allow it to be said that you have failed to do your part. Good advice. Imagine if your dad was Cicero. Right. I mean, like, there's what can you do? Can you even do anything? I don't know. I yep. that's that's a pretty heavy burden. Well, like, I sets th- the bar, but I think like eight times out of ten, they're just going to end up being a stoner because there's no way that you can <laughs> outdo that. Outdo like the bar that. is too high. Yeah, everything yep. you do is going to be like, well, your dad was, you know, consul by this age. Right. Like anything you accomplish. Or you have to go into a completely different That's field. what I was going to say. Just like po- try and sports. get excellence in something Startups. else. Startups. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so not politics. Become a, a shipping magnate. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So then he moves into why morality and expediency are the same. Why good, moral goodness and being more expedient are the same thing. So this is kind of a beginning part. It's on stealing. And I'll we'll, we'll get there. So... 
basically he says stealing is bad because it injures our fellow man and the bonds of society are so important that it'd be like my arm thinking, hey, you know what would be great for me is stealing from the other arm. And so he takes a couple of fingers and sticks them on his hand and it doesn't go very well. He pretty much makes it really clear that it is worse than death, worse than sickness, worse than severe loss to steal from a friend or to steal from anyone. Stealing is the worst thing that man can do, pretty much is what he says, which is strange. And that the greatest of men, like Hercules, it is weird for them to want to go off by themselves, but the greatest submit themselves to service of others. So great souls serve others. So he says the chief end of all men is to make the interest of each individual and the whole body politic identical. So make your interest the same interest of the entire body of everybody else. That is the chief end of man. But so that chief end must already exist. And then you just come in under it. Like, I'm wondering. Yeah, you you don't wreck it. Yeah. Or who's, I just wonder where it comes from or like who is setting it in the first place. Well, thank you for leading me directly into the next portion of my Hey, what's up? Hey, great job. Every once in a while. Okay. So here is sort of the, there's sort of two versions of the argument that I can kind of find and you can let me know what you think. I think the second one is a little clearer. So if you don't really get the first one, that's okay. okay. So he says, and further, if nature ordains that one man shall desire to promote, to promote the interests of a fellow man, whoever he may be, just because he is a fellow man, then it follows in accordance with that same nature that there are interests that all men have in common. Okay. And if this be true, we are all subject to one and the same law of nature. And if this is also true, we are certainly forbidden by nature's law to wrong our neighbor. So he's got a teleological kind of view of what is the good city, the good society, the good people working together. And your job is to make sure that you are a part of making that work. Right. Yeah. And he later says, basically, if there's nothing so repugnant to nature as immorality... And if nothing is so thoroughly in accord with nature as expediency, right? Man's nature is to do good and be successful. And morality is also in accord with nature. Then it doesn't make sense for those two things to coexist in the same object, Mm. right? If it's in accordance with nature to be good, and it's also in accordance with nature to be successful and flourish, then there's no way for those to to coexist. Like if, if one is off, see what I mean? Yeah. And so basically it seems like he grounds all of this in nature. Makes sense. Right. And so you can't dissociate one from the other and it's silliness to do so. But I'm wondering if it's they a are classical f- idea of nature as opposed to our modern view of nature, which is just talking about like the material, the, the material, natural world. Right. When they're talking about nature, he's talking about he's almost talking about it as a, you know, that this metaphysical ideal or this theological ideal that there is this thing called nature that we all need to be conforming to. And insofar as we're not conforming to it, we're, we're sad and miserable. Well, he hooks it in with the Stoics. He says the principles exactly. are the yeah, Stoics exactly. are the ones that I'm following in this. And the Stoics said it is, you know, most in the nature of man to be successful, to do all these things. And so if you look at the Stoics, that's where he's getting pretty much all of his ideas. And because of that, he doesn't much build upon them. He just says, I'm following what the Stoics are doing and nature is good and it's good for man to be both morally good and expedient, which happened in maybe the first 10 pages of this 90 page thing so i after that there isn't much argument but cicero is saying that morality and ethics is a natural thing that um everybody kind of knows either by instinct or knows by 
um, rationally deducing it in their own in their own experience. Um, whereas that definitely becomes a break with the more modern. When I mean modern, I mean like 17th, 16th century right. philosophy, where uh, ethics now starts to becoming this thing that has nothing to do with nature. Nature is an amoral entity, and mankind, uh, the thing that we call ethics, is something that either is um, supranatural, so like beyond or above nature, or like we can't deduce ethics. Nature is red in tooth and claw. Nature is a, a place of only pragmatism, and anything that human beings bring over and above that is somehow like um, not outside of nature, but it's it's – yeah, this this idea that that ethics and nature and human nature is something that it can be deduced first principles gets sort of tossed aside as as we get more modern. Yeah, it's weird, and I think <clears throat> as we move further and further up, you have you know naturalists who would say that morality comes from the evolutionary instinct to survive, right? That's where we get our morals is mm-hmm. it helps us not die, right. which doesn't necessarily but mean to say it's an you instinct, have to follow it, right? But to say it's an instinct is another way to say we don't know what it means. Right. <laughs> exactly. In that abolition of man. Yeah. yeah. You, you would say that it helps us to survive, but the problem is then we are disconnected Why is surviving good? Yeah. Well, why is surviving good? And why should I follow what my entire species has said that I do? I, I can, of course, go against it, right? Yeah. If, especially if I regard something else. So there's that problem. Anyway. And then even yeah. even further up, we get the morality is a personal choice, not even a societal one. You decide completely. It becomes disconnected even from our survival. Yeah. If getting more into this argument is interesting to you, oh, listener, you can go back and find the Abolition of Man podcast right. trilogy we did mm, a year ago or something, and um, where we really get into that question of um, nature and ethics. Um, anyway. Yeah, well, I, the reason I find this interesting isn't necessarily because of that, but because when I teach students, I can say, look, even if you are not a Christian, and even our, some of our listeners probably aren't, even though we've leaned a little heavily on that for the past few episodes, uh, I, I try to impress The Plantagenets them. were saints. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about the heresy episodes. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. the heresy episodes, right? Those were particularly interesting, I think, to our Christian listeners. But if you're a non-Christian listener, and for my non-Christian students, I still try to impress upon them that Ethics and the notion that a good life is one morally lived is not just inherent to Christianity. It's inherent to pretty much every old classical philosopher there is. Only a few of them said the best thing is to, you know, please yours. please yourself and get yeah. yours. And those guys were derided by everybody Everyone. else that knew what was going on, right? Yeah. Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, everybody said a, the best life is a moral one. And that's, I think, kind of shocking for students in a private Christian school to hear, because for them, morality and Christianity are wedded often. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Okay, so we move on to some of the cases that he brings up as he discusses these things. So first question, if a wise man is starving, mm-hmm. is it okay for him to steal bread to feed himself? Does it no. matter that he's wise? That feels relevant. Because yeah. hmm. if um, a wise man dies, it... Yeah, is, is it... I'm trying to find if there's some practical argument that because he's wise, he's more useful, alive, therefore he should steal, but... But you said earlier that stealing is, like, worse than murder. Yeah. So stealing's really So I'm going to go no. I'm going yeah. to say, say no, no on this one. Yeah. Yes. Cicero says yes, if he can render a greater service to the state. 
right? For this, it's weird. I think Cicero goes to the ends justify the means here. If I can steal a little bit of bread, stay alive, and then render a great service to my nation, then it's okay. But if I can't, I should bear my problems myself, is what he says. Okay, what if... Not crazy about that argument. I feel like that's a loophole. I feel like I could, like, justify all sorts of things. Like, if I, if I just had lots more money, I could be super useful. If I so, had a yacht, think of the services sure. that I could yeah, render right. to the state. If all I needed to do was murder somebody who was actively harming the state, take their assets, and, and become the great the, man. Exactly, yeah. No, no, this, oh. is, this is like Raskolnikov's argument in, in Crime and Punishment. Yeah, yeah it, it's a slippery slope for sure. Here's another one. If I am freezing to death and I have no coat, is it okay for me to take a coat from a tyrant. That's funny that you you actually brought it up. Someone who's actively harming the state. Can I steal a coat from a tyrant? They're no. They're warm, diabolical coat. Um, um maybe now I, I, I'm I, I'm gonna guess that Cicero says, yeah, go for it. Tyrants. Are tyrants crap. are bad people. Tyrants are bad why, people. Why would you think that about Cicero? Because <laughs> of his first answer. Because yeah, because of the first one. He seems to be a dude of pragmatism now. Not because he was ousted by one Julius Caesar. A oh, tyrant. that's also true. There it is. He just I want your coat. He, so he says, steal everything from the tyrants, right? As for the case of Phalaris, which is the tyrant he's talking about, a decision is quite simple. We have no ties of fellowship okay. with a tyrant, Great. but rather the bitterest feud. And it is not opposed to nature to rob, if one can, a man whom it is morally right to kill. Okay, that's crazy. Nay, all the pestilent and abominable race should be exterminated from human society. Oh my. Wow. So he does mean tyrant in the negative sense, not just in the leader of a city-state. He he means a... a bad, well, I think a even dude. that, a singular leader that wrests power for himself, he says is terrible because it means taking that from other men. I can't imagine why Caesar felt threatened by <laughs> yeah, him. Exactly, by this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being called pestilence. Yeah, that might well, do it. He left, Caesar left him alive. It was later that he died. Oh, really? It was Antony and his buddies that oh. killed him. Yeah, in their black prescription. Ooh, that sounds yep. awesome. Not crazy about that argument. It, I, feel, I feel like Cicero has really taken a turn in this third part. I also feel... Yeah, I, w- I would not have expected him to be making this argument. I would have expected him to say the man would, in the first case, he would become uh, unwise by stealing or he would become unjust by stealing and therefore would no longer be a wise man. And then here to steal from anyone is to commit this horrible act. And he passes on from those really quickly. He doesn't spend time justifying his ends, justify the means. He doesn't spend extra time talking about the tyrant stuff. He just sort of does it and moves on. Yeah. He then goes on to talk about a cool story. The ring of Gyges. You guys ever heard this story? This is the one where someone gets invisible. Yeah. 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 Can you, so do you know the rest of the tale? Uh, stop me if I'm wrong. So the a dude gets a ring. Well, my, I've heard it in the ethical sense of, so you get a ring that uh, you become invisible. Like, what do you do with that? Uh, do you steal? Do you do good? Like, what do you do with this incredible power? I guess I don't know the story itself. The story is this, this fella, it sort of, there, a flood goes down and he walks to the bottom of this ravine, this ravine, finds a golden bowl down there, opens the side and there's a body in there. In a golden of, what? So kind of, you remember, did you ever hear about the the bull torture device that they used to have? No. Nope. No? You guys nope. know about this? Oh, the, I forget what king it was, but he wanted a horrible method of torture and he had this guy design one. And basically it was this giant. Yeah. If you're, if you're listening with kids, you're going to want to skip ahead a minute or two here. But he had a guy create this ideas. big brass bull. <laughs> And you could open the side and you'd put somebody in and then you would start a fire under the bull and it would 
basically cook you. And as you screamed, there were, as, was an apparatus inside this bull that it would sound like a cow mooing. Hmm. And the first act upon the completion of this was he threw in the guy who designed it. Of course. <laughs> right. That's terrible. Anyway, so Gaijis finds something akin to that and then finds a body inside. And yep. on that body is the ring. And the ring will turn you invisible when you rotate it inward. And then if you rotate it outward, you're visible again. And so using that power, he debauches the queen and then takes the queen and together. Uh, it doesn't work, Graham. It doesn't work. Graham is trying. Yeah, he's trying really right hard. Not. Yeah, you're still there. <sighs> Try again. Nope, still no, there. Still oh, there. No, no, sorry. He, he, you know, goes and hangs out with the queen and then they kill the king. And by that, he makes himself a tyrant. And so that returns to Cicero's talking about tyrants saying like, what is the point there? And even then as a tyrant, you have more cares than anything else. And how is that good for anybody? Right. You care about constant threats from everyone. You have all these cares. You, it's true. You know, you can't be sure that you're going to live for live for your full lifespan like this. Being a king is really hard. And he says, that's not good for anybody. That's why I'm not a tyrant. Yeah. Because it would be miserable to be It'd one. It would be miserable to be a tyrant. Yeah. I think it's, maybe it's akin to, like, notoriety or fame today. Like, people who are famous talk about, like, the platform I have to be able to do X, Y, or Z. But, like, for every fame unit, for every F unit of one, how many units of, like, people screaming at you online and, and you know, like... I don't know, swatting your house or, sure. or dox, doxing your, doxing your, your information. There's, yeah. There's a cost. To that uh, and I feel like if it sucked to be a tyrant in Cicero's day, it probably sucks, even sucks even more to be a tyrant nowadays. You just have, you, you can now, le- the world, entire world, online world can leverage its animosity towards you. Well, think about being a president. Has a president ever hit more than a 70 cent, 70% approval rating? Yes. I don't think so. But not, not definitely not, not a sustained one. Not a sustained not one, sustained, not recently. No. And so usually you're hovering around like 50%. Mm-hmm. So half the people dislike hate you. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's hate, a hard dislike. Well, there's probably a pretty high percentage that hate you. Yes. Anyway, I... I but even, no but Cicero's books one and two are about preparing his son for a life of politics. Mm-hmm. So he's not a tyrant, but he does want him to have influence. Well, he wants him to serve the state, right? right. Every man should want to serve his state. Right. So he's... But that means that Cicero's son would be going into not that degree what you're talking about with it. But so whereas we're complaining about people disagree with you, Cicero's son was going into something he could be killed for if he was disliked. Like the stakes are much higher for Cicero's son than they are for us today. That's true. That's true. That's all I got. All right. (laughs) So I got a few more cases for you. Was it okay for the Athenians... So there, there was a, a sailing people nearby called the Agenetans, and they had a big navy and they were really scary. And so I think the Athenians had beaten them and de- declared that all of their thumbs should be cut off because they were a great threat to their nation. Is this okay? Cut off the thumbs of the seafaring people. No. You never know if they were for or against anything. Because <laughs> how would they give you a thumbs, <laughs> thumbs up, up or thumbs, thumbs down? down? Yeah. Um, no, it's not right to cut off the thumbs of an entire people. Why? Because... They threaten your people. Um, but... Because they're people. Because they're, yeah. Because there should be some sort of, I don't know, brotherhood of man. Because right, they threaten your people. Well, but that doesn't These mean that you... people? Or that doesn't mean that you... everyone? Yeah, does, does every single one of them threaten your city and therefore you, like, hamstring an entire people? That doesn't sound... That doesn't sound just. Yeah, it's, just so the reason that we're not tyrants is not 
because we don't want the punishment is because we don't want to make hard decisions like this. That right. Or, or, um, and to take control, to, to be the one who has to make the hard decision of do harm to people that would harm. Our, well, we're also swamped with the milk of human kindness. Okay. There, that too. <laughs> I'm, does he say yes to that one? Oh, he says, no, he says it's Yay. cruel. No okay, cool. cruelty can be expedient for cruelty is most abhorrent to human nature. Oh man. Whose lead we ought to follow. It's I'm not one, that they, one for three. it's not that they, they <laughs> prevented a people from coming to war against them. It's the method in which they did it. Don't cut off their thumbs, sink their boats. Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, cutting off their thumbs is incredible cruelty. Yeah. All right. Another example. They can't like fish. Can't do anything. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here you go. After the victorious close of that war with Persia, Themistocles announced in assembly that he had a plan for the welfare of the state, but that it was not politic to let it generally known. Mm. He requested the people to appoint someone with whom he might discuss it. They appointed Aristides. Themistocles confided to him that the Spartan fleet, which had been hauled up on shore at Gytheum, could be secretly set on fire. This done, the Spartan power would inevitably be crushed. Should he, should the Athenians have taken the plan? Is my question to you boys. Yeah. Burn your enemy's fleet. Yep. That one makes sense. Burn the fleet? All right, here you go. When Aristides heard the plan, he came into the assembly amid the eager expectation of all and reported that the plan proposed by Themistocles was in the highest degree expedient, but anything but morally right. The result was that the Athenians concluded that that what was not morally right was likewise not expedient. And at the instance of Aristides, they rejected the whole proposition without even listening to it. So this was a, they were going to go burn the fleet they weren't at, they weren't they weren't at war. war. It was mm-hmm. just going to be like a, like a preemptive strike. Mm-hmm. Their attitude was better than ours for we let our pirates go scot-free while we make our allies pay tribute. Mm. Right, nah. So he's saying that was a good thing for them not to burn that fleet. So the preemptive, she doesn't like the preemptive strike argument. Like these Spartans nah. have, have rattled their sabers in our direction before, but we should let them, we shouldn't ham. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Well, I mean, think about it. If you if you crush their power, their power is crushed forever. Yeah. They may never recover and they'll never be able to go to war against somebody else that threatens them. At least Isn't not that what you're in a wanting? little while. Yeah, if but... Yeah. If, if they're your enemy. If... But I don't think they were full enemies that yet. I think full enemies, full warfare, you can burn a fleet, no sweat, and right. what's more, you should. But a weird situation, this is kind of the Cold War, right? It's should we strike them before they can get at us? Mm-hmm. And he says no. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. Um, I have sympathies more towards, well, nuclear arms have made it a little bit different. Like the, Yeah. But uh, I have sympathy towards... Well, it's not just blow up their fleet. It's blow up their fleet and... Their entire people. All of the civilians and all of the creatures and wildlife and sure. make the city unlivable for... So many thousands of years. But I can see how he, the, how they were saying, yeah, if we're not in open conflict with them, we are just sort of assuming that there's going to be conflict in the next generation or down the line or in the 40 right. years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there might not be. There, there might be might, Exactly. Allies. You're right. There, it might not be. There's mm-hmm. no, you can't really, um, yeah, and, 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 and things change, right? Like um, America and Britain fought each other and now they and then they were closest the closest allies in you know world war one and world war two right so like politics and allyship can change um yeah okay all right cicero i got you you're, you're on board for okay that. so what, what's the score right now how, how have you guys been doing two, i feel like we should be keeping score two right two wrong i think something like that yeah you guys are both at two and two i, I think, think so. i'm like one and three. Oh, i thought haven't we agreed on all of them so far maybe okay 
Listener, fact check, please. Thanks. Anyway, we can put you guys both a zero if you're comfortable I'm with totally that. fine with that. Yes. Okay. Well, let's keep on going quiz show style. Okay. Okay. New case. Case of the grain. You yourself are a merchant, right? I can see it. It is a famine in your land. Everyone is starving. Okay. You sail to another land, get some grain, and you're sailing back. On the way back, you see other ships of other traders you know. Trader Joe, for instance. <laughs> so Trader yes. Joe, he's got grain. He's got uh-huh. stores everywhere. everywhere. He's got stores everywhere. He's yeah. a powerful trader, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Trader Joe, he's, his ship is big and beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. More sales than you've got. It's got this like sort of retro thing going on. <laughs> trader Joe's has sales. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he sails back. You know these ships are on the way, but you happen to have a pretty quick ship. Mm-hmm. You land, and remember, it's famine. You can charge just about whatever you want for the grain. Do you charge famine prices knowing that within the next few days, other grain will show up to Trader Joe? No, to the people you land. Trader Joe is still en route. He's got a big ship and it's slow because it's got a lot of grain in it. You've got a smaller, faster ship. Do you trade at famine prices or do you trade to everybody at normal grain prices? Knowing that within days, that price will be back down. Yeah. Uber surge pricers pricing. Um, I say you charge the normal the normal grain price. You should have like set the price that you want to make your that has your company be profitable, and you stick with it, even though this opportunity of screwing people is, uh, has uh, provided itself. I just don't know if it's screwing people. Like, okay, so it is actually a famous situation. I don't, this is the MBA in me because if prices are going up, then more ships should be going to get grain in the first place, which would bring prices back down. Like. If there's just a price that grain is selling for, it's not moral or immoral to trade at that price. If that is how much grain is worth, it's how much grain is worth. Like this is complicated by the, by cities being much smaller in the time of Cicero than they are today. So there could be a case for, you know, these people, you will get honor among these people by trading at a kinder value. But today you just trade at whatever the, the price is. So trade at the famine prices. You don't think this could be a corollary to medicine prices, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical price gouging? I think price gouging is a political term and an unhelpful one in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. so maybe you. Get, so like, you say trade at famine prices? Yes. Okay. Trade at. I think even calling them famine prices is unfair. Trade at market prices. Or you and your merchant buddies get together and collude. set your own uh, collude right. and set your own high prices I think that's into a, different, a cabal yeah. or into. A, that is a different problem. <laughs> if you yeah, the collusion would be the problem there, not the price. Um, All right, Graham, what do you say? I still, th- I still think that you trade at the normal price. Great. Uh, I think there's a great moral argument yeah. for that, but if you want merchants to continue to get grain, then there needs to be some like feedback system there. That's what profit does, but th- they wouldn't, they would not have seen it that way. I don't think. Where's, tell me, tell him, tell me I'm an immoral monster. Okay, hold on. It. Pause. We have one more case before Cicero responds. He, okay. he does two cases before he gives his response. In okay. this case, next, ca- next one. Mm-hmm. Graham has bought a house, right? Yep. Okay. I can see it. You actually ha- are currently building. I'm one. currently building a house. Yep. Well, I mean, I'm building it land. in my mind. Yeah, exactly. So um, say you build your house and you live in it for, oh, say 20 years okay. and you are, slovenly as Aww. we all know you to be that's not mm-hmm. true his He's house not, is very no. tidy yeah. but you're slovenly mm-hmm. and it gets kind of nasty mm-hmm. there's a little bit of black mold and there's some vermin in there mm-hmm. right but you sweep up you clean up and then you put put a sign on your lawn that says house for sale mm-hmm. it does not lie 
It does not say... The house is for sale. It does not say beautiful, well-built house. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say that there's no black mold. It doesn't even make any claims about vermin. Mm -hmm. You bring people in, you show them the house, Mm -hmm. and they purchase your house at the going rate for a normal house with no vermin and no black mold. So I I have successfully sort of hidden my house's problems? Yes. Okay. Did you do wrong? No. I don't think so either. I think anyone who buys a house and doesn't get an inspector to look through it is a fool. And... And again, I don't know if... Fire beware. What's the Latin for that? Caveat emptor. And so I think... Is that, that part of your catechism you have to say at the beginning of every MBA class? Yeah. <laughs> it's just that. That's the only thing we say. Caveat emptor. That's buyer beware. I will be the prophet of prophet. <laughs> Good. Caveat isn't, that a, isn't that a TV show? No, I don't know. I just made it up. So, yes. I Graham is not lying in any way by putting that house up for sale, but it should be checked by someone. Again, I think... I could see Cicero taking the other side on this one because if the people if the people who are buying and selling houses is only ten thousand people in a city, like you know those people, and so that could be different. People will look at you differently. But again, today, that's on them to keep an eye on that. Okay, I don't think the size changes it. Really? Yeah. Okay. So both of you say no. He hasn't done anything wrong. No. Okay. Correct. Cicero weighs in. I think then that it was the duty of that grain dealer not to keep back the facts from the Rhodians, and of this vendor of the house to deal in the same way with his purchaser. The fact is that merely holding one's peace about a thing does not constitute concealment. But concealment consists in trying for your own profit to keep others from finding out something that you know, which it is for their interest to know it. And who, oh. f- and who fails to discern what manner of... of Oh, yeah. So, and who fails to discern what manner of concealment that is and what sort of person should be guilty of it? At all events, he would be no candid or sincere one grown old in fraud and subtlety. So what is he saying? Say, oh, sorry, like, I, sell, I the grain, the line there. sell the grain at the famine price, but tell them that cheaper grain's coming in like five days? Right. Yes. At all events, he would be no candid or sincere or straightforward or upright or honest man, but rather one who is shifty, sly, artful, shrewd, underhand, cunning, one grown old in fraud and subtlety. It is not inexpedient to subject oneself to all these terms of reproach, or is it not inexpedient to subject oneself to all these terms of reproach and many more besides? So in selling your fancy grain and in selling your nasty house, Mm -hmm. you would be called maybe a little shifty, sly, shrewd, cunning, Mm -hmm. underhanded, Mm -hmm. right? Subtle. Then he says that is inexpedient to... To To be called like a, a jerk. Or yeah. to be, someone to be like... And you guys are telling me that you wouldn't feel a little bit guilty letting somebody walk into a house that they had no idea was absolutely filled with cockroaches. That wouldn't, that wouldn't put, that wouldn't rankle the cockles of I your don't soul. know, I don't know why yeah. they're buying the house. I don't know if they're intending to tear it down and build something entirely new. It's, it, at the point that it's sold, it's theirs. They get to choose what to do with it. So if they are intending to tear it down and they don't get an inspection, that's fine. Why, like, why, why am I arguing against myself in selling this house to them? That being said, like, I've sold things on eBay like a computer or a camera or something and the power cord is falling apart and I send the picture of the falling apart power cord. I'm like, Hey, you know, to be completely honest, this power cord is falling. It works, but it looks like a butt. So, um, I, I, yeah, it does kind of, maybe it rankles me a little bit to think that if I have, if I have like cockroach walls and I'm not saying anything about it and I'm just like hoping that they buy my cockroach walls, that feels a little skeezy. But to your point, like maybe they're planning on tearing down the house and they like You could the always ask. That's the other thing. Yeah. Do you plan on living here yourself? You should know it's filled with cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is black mold. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think legally we, you have to have it inspected before selling, right? 
these days? I Property so. in Texas? I think there's a required inspection. I have no. I, yeah, we, there is. We there had is required inspection. inspection. So um, yeah. Cicero says, sell your grain at the high price, but let the people know that in five days, cheaper grain's coming. He says, be honest. Say, mm-hmm. grain is coming, and here's what I would like to sell for. And then with the house, you'd be honest. You you don't conceal something that it is in their benefit to know. That's what he says. What do you think, Thomas? I, I think it's a fine argument, and I understand it, but... Yeah. Uh, am I saying I'm not convinced? I don't know. Your MBA profs would disagree. Mortimer J. Moneybags, or whatever the teacher's name I think is. Mr. Moneybags would <laughs> say... Please tell me you actually had a Mr. Moneybags. Of course there was no Moneybags. Oh, that they, seems like a name I mean, change waiting to happen. And they, and they require us to take a business ethics class, and so I'm sure that you'd get people who would say, do the right thing or do good, but I don't know. I I'm not, it's a financial transaction. I don't see why you have to like make sure it's in the best interest of that other person. Like they should have some responsibility in making sure it is a good thing they're buying. Mm-hmm. I I think honesty and yeah, you can be factual in telling in giving all information, but not give the worst case for whatever you're dealing in. I don't know. I think those are different. I mean, honesty is not lying. I'm not sure that honesty is telling all the negative information about whatever it is you're selling. I don't know. Sure. Okay. More cases. You guys, you guys still still with me? Let's do it. Okay. There was once a man who owned a fishing villa and there was another man. So let's, let's make these you guys. Okay. So Graham, you have this beautiful fishing villa, right? Hmm. It's, it's way out. It's on the water. It's gorgeous. It's got this lake. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You've been wanting to sell it, though. You don't get that out there as often as you'd like. And you have a friend, Thomas. Now, Thomas, you are a general. And you you have a lot of cares day to day. And you were hoping for just somewhere to go and kick your feet back and have a good time, right? And so we were thinking about buying a little place. Well, Graham says, or not buying a little place, sorry, just renting, right? You were going to go rent a place and stay or whatever. Graham says, hey, you can come and stay at mine free. You know, I'm not going to charge you anything. You can come out. You can have some time. No one will bother you. It's great. It's a nice little villa. So Graham has you out. And Graham, before he arrives, you go and talk to the local fisherman around the quay. And you say, tomorrow. Key. Is it key? Mm -hmm. Not quay? Correct. I've never heard that pronounced. It's pronounced key. So the Florida Florida Keys is spelled quays? Well, no, they, the Florida Keys is K-E-Y, but Q-U-A-Y is pronounced key. So, for example, my parents in Toronto live right next to Queen's Key Boulevard, but it's spelled Q-U-A-Y. Wikipedia confirms it. Pronounced key. All right, key. so... It's like the British-American thing, anyway. Sure, you go and chat to all the fishermen around the key. Mm-hmm. Man, that feels weird. The key, right. and you say, tomorrow, I want you to all fish in front of my little villa and then come and so, drop, hmm. drop a fish at my door. Mm-hmm. That's what I would like you to do. And they're like, all right, that's weird, but... Sure. You hand them, you know, hand them all a nice five spot. You mm-hmm. give them a couple, couple bucks. Okay. And then Thomas shows up and you guys sit down to this one wonderful dinner. And all through dinner, these fishermen are fishing outside and you can see them and they're dropping fish right at your door. And at the end of the dinner, Thomas asks, man, what is happening? And you're like, man, those fishermen, this is the best spot for, they all fish here and they are, they cannot fish I mean, they can't manage without, you know, making use of my water and making use of my land. And so they, they come and pay a little bit of tribute. Now, Thomas thinks, oh, man, I will pay anything for this. Not only is it a great little fishing villa, but 
this is, you know, having constant tribute and constant pay and being able to control the fishing industry. That's a, that's a thing of itself altogether. So he offers whatever he's like, I will pay you any price. So you name your price and you sell the villa. Then Thomas comes back a week later and he hangs out and he sees no boats, not a one. And then he goes down to the fisherman. and He's like, Hey, what's it's it's a holiday or what's going on? And the guy's like, no, not at all. Uh, I don't know what was going on last week. I, I, you know, I couldn't explain why everyone was fishing over at your place. I, I thought that was awfully weird. But yeah, we're just fishing over here like we usually do. Did Graham do anything wrong? I'm a butt. I feel terrible. I'm a horrible person. That's I, so mean. I do think it changes things if we know each other before that. I've got this, yeah, this wonderful swampland in Florida for you. No, this is But this also, is what if he hadn't known you? But that's what, so if I, if my one piece of information for why I'm buying this piece of land is this one time I've been down there, that, that was shame on you. Shame on me. Like shame on me for letting that one piece of information sway me toward buying it. But I am manipulating you. Shame on me. Yeah, sure. Shame on both of us. I guess. So there's wrong on both sides. Yeah. I, I I feel really bad for what I hypothetically did. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But would never do. So that one's pretty bad. There's another house kind of like this one that I'm going to skip over. It's a guy that has a house and there are some people that demand that he take down some of the height of the house for state reasons. Mm-hmm. And so he he sells the house while it still is tall. Mm. And then the guy that buys it finds out that there he's was this, a, you know, yeah, yeah. thing against it in Juncture and he had to tear down a piece of it. And he's like, what is the story? That that seems that like, like clear fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Sure. I think that's clear fraud. And, C- and Cicero says the same thing. That is where we establish the, you know, honesty in dealing or what he calls good faith, right? Good faith is essential to honest dealing and that's good faith, Mm. right? So the question about how good faith comes into the situation with the grain and the situation with cockroach house, that's a different issue, right? I don't don't really know that that's hard, right? Do you, is it your responsibility to make sure people do do their due diligence? No. Thomas says no. Graham might say yes. To make sure they do their due diligence? That I would feel a little bit weird about selling cockroach house. Sure. Yeah. And I feel a little bad about my manipulating fish house. Like, I feel like uh, that I am not... Well, fish house is just clear fraud. Is it? I'm not, I'm not convinced. So the problem is that I buy it thinking that fishermen will come by all the time. Because mm-hmm. what is proven is that fish can be gotten from the water near me, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, in fact, true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not sure fraud has occurred. When I heard the but story... But you're buying it thinking that it's a fish revenue generating property. Right. Because all these fishermen... Because all these fishermen were, were just sort of giving you fish. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of... you're. Yeah, I agree that you are naive in the situation yes. for thinking that. Yeah. But I have not... I have brought you to that place. Like, I, I'm, I'm manipulating the facts supposed, on the ground to try to sell my house. You're supposed to protect me from my naivete? I think so. Uh, I don't know about that. I think at some level... That's the way you should act against other people is that um, to, to insofar as you are the other party that you protect them from their better natures, because otherwise I'm taking advantage of your of your your, you know, foolishness. Maybe I still think that the that fault, like it's still my fault to be foolish. Mm-hmm. Wow. Although, like you could take this into the meta and say if there is a really, really slam dunk um, stock to purchase online and you are still online. I mean, in the market and you buy it, like you're buying it from somebody who's selling it. Yes. And if you are convinced, if you know, it's a good buy, are you not then taking advantage of this person who's selling it? You'll never see him. And in all likely in reality, it's just a big institution that a clearinghouse that has all these shares that you're buying, that you're literally buying it from. 
so there's like the in many ways the buying and selling of of things that are speculative and an investment in nature houses mm-hmm. stock yeah is a greater fool game who who's making but in this one in that situation i'm like doing a horse and pony show to convince you to buy it and i feel like at that point i'm i'm uh i'm not polishing a turd but i'm making i'm you know um I am painting a, uh, a picture in, or, a, you know, castles in the air kind of thing. Like, I'm, I'm being disingenuous. Bad faith, exactly. I'm acting, yeah, it's bad faith. I'm acting yeah. in bad faith. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like, and I think that you, one, the virtuous gentleman should not act in bad faith. Um, okay. But the pioneering American spirit in Thomas says that. I wouldn't say. Buyer beware. I, I think <laughs> Snake buyer. oil. I think buyer beware is really important. I think buyers should beware. I... But the buyer can't be aware in everything. Like, mm-hmm. I can't do diligence on everything that I purchase. Like, the meat I get at the farmer's market. I, I think, can't really do... I think you should get local meat. And local but restaurants. how do I know that it's not like... Go to the farm. Like, Sniff it. Like, so I, but I have to go to the... Like, Sniff I, the cow. I have to do all of we, this? We are, we are <laughs> currently doing community-supported agriculture through friends of ours who are starting a farm outside of Austin. But can and, everybody do that? I think lots of people should. Where did you? How much research did you do on that shirt you're wearing? None. Yeah, I mean, it's just like the burden of buyer beware seems to be it's pretty huge. But yeah. huge. I, I guarantee, before Thomas bought that shirt, he felt the material. Yeah, and it just felt. Isn't felt that due fine. diligence? Yeah, right there? sure, feels great. You're saying it's not full of vermin. Sure, what's the dime? Not full of vermin. What's the dime you're making the ethical. Oh, I thought you're going to go an ethical route of or yeah, what's exactly. Who made this? Who made this, this thing? Yeah. So what? I'm just thinking like buyer beware is an incredibly heavy burden in a globalized economy right. world that we live in. Yes. Yes. So we should not buy anything. No, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I think we should make more stuff. Like I, I take both sides of that argument. Mm-hmm. So you don't like the idea that we should have regulatory bodies that are, that are ensuring the quality and, and ethical practices of garments of food, of, of houses, of, of these sorts of things. I think inspections are great. And if people are going to not do them to cut costs, I don't know. That's another thing where it's like, why do you force people to do that when it's in fact in their best interest anyway mm-hmm. to get the inspection? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are lots of places where that kind of regulation is super helpful, especially in environmental regulation. So well, anything- lots of people who can afford insurance don't get insurance. Mm-hmm. You're, are you talking about health insurance in this case? Or are you talking about car anything. insurance? Or- well, we have to have car insurance. That's what I'm you saying. You need your car right. for your you have car. To have health mean- insurance too. Right. Well, um, you don't, or you, you can pay a fine or pay, pay a tax fine. rather yeah. as a believe. Anyway, I'm just, yeah. Right. This is sort of deviating from the topic at hand, but uh, what did Cicero say about these? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's or is there a third act in bad faith? Bad I mean, that's pretty faith. obvious. Yeah. He doesn't ha. like them. Pretty <laughs> okay. obvious. Okay. Thanks. Great. I think it's, I said, I think it's obvious what Cicero oh, thinks, but right. he treats well, them so briefly. He says like, it's yeah. against nature and bad faith, period. And does not go in depth into why these things are the the subtleties of think, dyes and shirts. Like he doesn't yeah. go so far as to say, can I sell products I know that are a little bit cheaply made at a high price? Let me, say, just, let me say it this way. So the merchant comes to town and is selling the the wheat that will soon be available for a lower price. If they, they had to go somewhere to get it, and it was probably at famine prices for them because other places are experiencing famine at that same time. What you said, Cicero said, is that both morality and success are by nature are natural things in us, and I th- and those are in conflict in that situation. Some form of that success that 
is, is going to be at the expense of him getting some amount of profit, which is the success you're talking about by nature. There's more tension there than Cicero is giving credit to. Yeah, perhaps. But I do think that he would say that the, the reputation you get as a vendor when everybody else shows up and grain prices drop and it becomes obvious that you knew and you were gouging your brethren, mm-hmm. right? That isn't, that isn't good and it's not going to bring you success. They're going to blackball you. They're never going go to go to you again, trusting that you're giving the same good price. And even if they don't, if they never realize that you knew and you're like, I didn't see any other ships, then that's lying. Mm -hmm. If you did see a ship and you say you didn't, that's lying. Or if you just keep, keep the information to yourself, you don't lie. You just, you just keep that info to yourself and no one ever makes the connection that you would have known. Mm -hmm. Right. He says that the worst part is the debauching of your soul. Like the, the consequence will come and that your soul is going to darken. And that's, that would be Cicero's stance. Yeah. Maybe like Cicero Jr. is reading this and he's like, this is why dad can't sell the lake house. <laughs> right. Or this is why he's in politics and not in business. Yeah. That's what, this is why he's not a merchant. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, th- I mean, this stuff happens all the time. This is going to be, uh, uh, there is a certain headphone company, let's not say their name, but they make cheaply made headphones and then sell them for exorbitant prices. And they even put weights inside the, the headphones right. to make them feel more substantial than they are because without those weights, they feel light and plastic. But they, the weights, are they are that substantial nice. because of the weights. Like what people want in a headphone is not necessarily superior sound quality. They want to feel like it should be superior sound quality. And that's what the weights provide. This is um, Seth Godin does this really great, this is inter- interesting research or he quotes interesting research that the more you pay for, I believe it's the wine glass, the better that wine tastes to you. It's true. No matter what you pour into it, the act of paying more means you enjoy the wine more. Are they, are they taking something from you by charging you 10 times as much for what costs a dollar to make? No, it's actually a better product for you in the end. But you're talking about like the experience versus the experience of the product versus the people think the sound quality is better. I don't know what you're talking about, what line you're talking about, but people will say that it is a better product with the weights in it than without the weights, even though the sound quality has not changed. They've been been given a better product because of those weights, but not, but not as good a product as they paid for. Uh, They paid for actual superior sound quality, right? Uh, At least for the most part. And that is withholding something that it would benefit the the listener to know. Usually with those people, if you say, the reason they're heavy is not because the the drivers and the speakers are good. It's because they put weights in there. People go, for reals? Mm -hmm. And then they'll not want the headphones, right? Mm -hmm. Because what they're paying for is ideally like actual good sound quality which is what is advertised but maybe what delivered. you're saying is that people generally don't what people like think. people think that they have higher taste than they do <laughs> yes. yes and they, they, because, they and then they assume that expensive things are better yes and but because of because that they don't really care about they don't have the taste to discern between the better and the worse. Yep. They just assume the better is better. And so they pay for it and they end up enjoying it and enjoy it better. It's and not enjoy only, it better. It's not only that they pay more for it. Whereas so, like if you, if you had somebody say that this bottle of wine is amazing mm-hmm. and everybody, and then uh, it was $150 a bottle and you, let's say you're at a restaurant, it was $150 a bottle, but the bottle had spoiled, like the cork broke and it was mm-hmm. vinegar and you pass it around and drank it. Everyone would be like, oh, this wine's amazing. Actually, this happened to me once. I, I, I okay, this, the first time I ever had a mojito. Mm-hmm. So, you know what, what a mojito yes. is. Mm-hmm. So, it's, what's the alcohol in mojito? Is it tequila, gin? Doesn't matter. 
the story for the story doesn't matter. They're making a mojito, but it but the important part is there's a lot of mint and there's a lot of sugar. White rum, sugar, lime juice, soda water, mint. So you usually have like, you know, a thumb height of sugar at the bottom of your mojito glass that you stir around, it's really sugary. The first time I ever had a mojito, I ordered it from a restaurant and they accidentally made it with salt oh. instead of sugar. And this is and I've never had it before and everyone talks about like how great mojitos were. And I took a sip and I was like, oh, this mojito, I don't really like this. It tastes kind of gross, but... But you said to people. But I. But then they were like, how's your drink? And I was like, yeah, it's not really what I expected. And then I kept drinking and I was like, are mojitos supposed to be really salty? <laughs> and, like, and then the wait- waitress was like, what? And she took a sip and she spat it out. She's like, I am so sorry. Went and go and, I went and got a mojito. But I'm, I kind of that moment, like I've paid for it. I don't know what the experience is. I don't have taste. Right. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't want to... Um, loose face in front of everybody to be that guy that's like, oh, it's mojito thuck. Right. Take it back, waiter. Um, but in this instance, they should have taken it back. you refer to them all as waiter? I do not. Um, <laughs> waiter. But I think, but, yeah. so, but maybe what you're saying is it's okay for the producer of the good to make that because they have satisfied customers. Yes. And AJ, you're saying that either you or Cicero is saying that a satisfied customer is immaterial to this because we should be talking about the inherent goodness or badness or the quality of the product. Yeah. This is back to Aristotle's uh, tool. Remember we talked about Aristotle and tools? Yes. And like the good hammer versus the bad hammer, the Walmart hammer and the 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 telos of the hammer or the virtue of the hammer. You were on board for the virtue of the hammer, Thomas. Yeah. But now you're saying you're not on board for the virtue of the hammer. Um, Virtue of the headphones, Thomas. Sure. But sometimes, maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth and listener, please tell me that I am. But is there a place in the, like, sometimes you just need a $5 hammer. Like, sometimes that is, in fact. Sometimes you need need 40, like $100 headphones that actually cost eight bucks to produce and have weights in them. Need is a hard word. Yeah, yeah. People want them and people pay for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know who you're talking about, but I think of like beats. I, I don't know about weights or anything like that, but people buy beats because of how they look. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I was recently buying headphones to go running with, and I considered AirPods solely for the fact that they were an Apple product. And instead, I went with a $20 pair of wireless head headphones that are equal sound quality to what I was using before, mm-hmm. instead of spending $150 or whatever it would be on AirPods. Like, what Apple is selling you is that brand image, not mm-hmm. the quality of the product itself. I love my iPhone very much. I am well aware that Android has more features than my iPhone, <clears throat> yeah. which which is what AJ has. I'm gonna go and put a tally mark on the board. Sure, which is, Android. but I'm still gonna buy iPhones until the day I die. Like I still love Apple. If I could, is is it an is it an immoral yeah. product because it doesn't have all the features of whatever Google phone? If somebody can make a phone that just had Maps and group texting and they calling. That. They made that. That was the Kickstarter. Else. That was the Indiegogo. I know, but it's not widely available yet. But it's, it's not. I would buy it's, that phone. You, it's not an immoral product because it doesn't have the same features. It's an immoral. It's an immoral product when it claims to and doesn't. So when Apple says this is the best smartphone in the market, they are immoral. I, I would say yes. They are I not that, the best smartphone. They, in the I market. think that there is a marketing category called puffery, and I, I think it falls under that. Yeah. Everyone's. It's uh, that scene from Elf where. Will Ferrell walks by the place that says best cup of coffee. And he's like, congratulations. Yours is the best cup of coffee. Like no one actually thinks that this, yeah. whatever diner has the best cup of coffee. I've never seen Elf. You are missing out. What? We should watch it I know. right now. That's uh, that's wrong. Yeah, that's just wrong. Of all the things that we've discussed, all the cases that Even we've gone Cicero over, the, most wrong, the yeah. most wrong thing is you not seeing Elf. Even Cicero would believe. Yeah. Okay. Are there any other cases in this? Chapter? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I got a, I got a few more. I'll try to pick the good ones because okay. 
I, I don't know how much. Yeah, we're, we're running whew, close on time. Yep. So a, a guy comes from an enemy of ours hmm. and he's a traitor. And he says, look, I will poison the opposing king and win the war for you. What do you do? And we're in the middle of war. We're in the middle of war. Again, the real reason we're not tyrants is I don't want to kill anyone. So I would not want to do that. I would say kill the opposing king. He, I'd be a traitor to kill the king. I mean, wait, wait, wait. To no, kill no, our king? Not, no, not yeah, our king. Not to our kill king, the, other, the king. other guy. Kill our enemy's king with the traitor from their. I group. mean, I, I think you go with it. You got to the greater good. The Greeks returned him in chains to the other king. <laughs> so good. Said that they, as as enemies, had good faith because it wasn't honorable, right? Yeah. What they wanted was honor and war, and to do that was dishonorable. Yeah. What about if the same situation, but with a pirate king? Go for it. Cicero says yes. Really? He says there is no good faith with pirates. That's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Because there's no like honest Mm. agreement of war there. There's no rules of engagement. There's no nothing. They're pirates. Mm. They do it when you don't even know what's going on. So if there's a guy that's like, I'll kill a pirate king, you're like, go nuts, buddy. Yeah. Rock and roll. Okay. But if it's, uh, okay. Here's, Here's a fun one that we don't actually have to talk about. What's more we shouldn't? He had one where he said, all right, so say a merchant is in a deep storm. And on board, he has a very, very expensive horse and also a slave that is not expensive. Missing teeth, it's kind of stringy. If he if he's has to get rid of some stuff overboard... Get rid of the horse. Yeah, does he get rid of the, of the horse oh. or the slave? The that, horse. He, oh he actually goodness. asked that question. Oh, We're not, I'm not going to talk about it, yeah. but does he, he asked the question. He says, obviously, you get rid of the horse. Okay, good. But still, that you even, even have to ask the question is kind of messed up. Yeah. The last... Oh, man, there's, there's so much more here, but I think... That is interesting that he says to get rid of the horse. I mean, just in terms of a historical idea of the wealth, the worth of man. Anyway, there's plenty more here. I'll give you a quick last case. And then after these cases, he has a, a bit of a discussion about a guy who came, argued for the release of some prisoners and then went back to a king that had promised to torture him. Mm-hmm. So he was released on the pretext that he would return after trying to exchange the prisoners and he argued, he went back to Athens, said, you guys shouldn't exchange prisoners for me because I'm old and it's a bunch of young men and it'll make our war worse. And then he went back to certain torture. Right. Right. It's one, it's one of the most famous cases ever. And he talks about that as an example of goodness at length. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily need to hear it. You should go look it up. It's a really cool story. The last fun case is there's a shipwreck and there's one plank that you can float on to live. If a foolish man has it, and a wise man wants it, should he take it? At that point, it should just be like, fight it out, right? It Which is probably be... what would happen. He would say the wise man because they can help the... But I don't no, know. he says wise man, leave it alone. Really? It's, not, it's not your stinking plank. What if the wise man was the owner of the ship and not just a wise man? That's my plank! But he goes <laughs> down with the it's ship. It's literally his plank. <laughs> he goes down with the ship. If the ship sinks, then so does the That's right. captain Cis- of the ship. Cicero says that until they dock, the ship is the product of the customers. They've paid for passage, right? So, so the captain should give it to the fool because he's the captain should give it to the fool because yeah. he paid for it. Yeah. What if it's two <laughs> wise men? This one's my favorite. <laughs> what in the world? What if it's two wise men and there's one plank? Then one gets it. Whoever has one it. is going to get it. Whoever Which has one? the plank at the first time for or the beginning. Yeah, because first one, to the plank. The other one would have to like kill that person. No, no, they should discuss who can do the best. <laughs> <for> the, <laughs> <laughs> they, who can do the best for the society so as How long do they, they are yeah, dying in the water yeah. they should be like sir what services can you render man in general and they're like well let me make my case and they should make their case which is just ridiculous total silliness 
Anyway, there are a few more cases in here. I'm going to stop there and read the last little bit that's a message to his son, and then we'll we'll call it quits. But if you're interested, I say go read it. Uh, it's rough because Cicero doesn't really orient you to where he is in his argument to read through. But yeah, just read it, get what you can from it. Cicero is sometimes a little obtuse. Here's his final letter, and then we'll close. Herewith, my son Marcus, you have a present from your father. <laughs> a generous one, in my humble opinion. But its value will depend upon the spirit in which you receive it. And yet you must welcome these three books as fellow guests, so to speak, along with your notes on Cratopus's lectures. Quack. But as you would sometimes give ear to me also, if I had come to Athens, and I should be there now if my country had not called me back with accents unmistakable when I was halfway there, so you will please devote as much time as you can to these volumes. For in them my voice will travel to you, and you can devote to them as much time as you will. And when I see that you take delight in this branch of philosophy, I shall then talk further with you, at an early date, I hope, face to face. But as long as you are abroad, I shall converse with you thus at a distance. Farewell, my dear Cicero, and be assured that while you are the object of my deepest affection, you will be near, dearer to me still if you find pleasure in such counsel and instruction. And that's where it ends. It's good. Yeah. All right. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us by emailing classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. And we are on Twitter at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff on Twitter. Anything else before we wrap up? Nope, that's it. And I think if we're smart, we can end it right at an hour. So see you later, everybody. See ya. Bye, everyone. One more second. Now. Now.